Also, your tweets give me life. Oh, thank you. They really do. I try. <laughs> Mostly just me ranting at That's, the sky. But so. like, isn't that what America's become? <laughs> yes. So I feel like it's Charlotte Clymer. I am really, really excited to talk to her. She is the press secretary for Human Rights Campaign. That's right. Um, and I just want to make, I always get people's titles wrong, so I want to make sure I got yours right. You're doing great. That's fine. <laughs> um, and today, I'm just, honestly, I'm just really excited to hear her story and how this came to be and just about her. So Charlotte, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. I am Charlotte Clymer. And I am the press secretary for Rapid Response at the Human Rights Campaign. Mm -hmm. We have about five press secretaries. We all have different portfolios. And my job is to manage our response to the White House and federal Mm -hmm. policy. So for those who don't know, the Human Rights Campaign is the largest LGBTQ organization in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we are, we have that iconic logo, that blue background with the two, with the yellow equal sign. Mm -hmm. That's us. Um, for those who are listening, uh, I love my job, and uh, I get to come to work every day and fight for equality, and I get paid for it, so it feels pretty good. And I get, ain't that the truth? Because like I feel like all of us who work in the nonprofit world, we love our job, but we don't get paid. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> So you know true. what I mean? It's very true. I just anyway, that's a rant for another time because <laughs> I can rant on it all day. So tell me. A little bit about your background, your story. Who is Charlotte? So I grew up in Central Texas, mm-hmm. and both my uh, both sides of my family are basically just white impoverished folks from the South. You know, mm-hmm. one side is from Texas and Oklahoma, the other side is from Kentucky. And so I grew up, you know, mainly in white poverty. To parents who also grew grew up in white poverty, to their parents and their parents. And so it's interesting that. You know, myself and my siblings come at the nexus of just generations of Mm -hmm. white impoverished folks. And what that's done for me is given me a glimpse into, I suppose, how whiteness is weaponized Mm -hmm. against people in this country. Mm -hmm. Not only against people of color, but in the sense that you can see how uh, poor white folks are basically... uh, manipulated and also at the same time they're they have excuses made for them mm-hmm. like they're enabled to be yeah um and so you know i grew up in that uh and so it really informed my worldview as i got older mm-hmm. and you know i grew up to mainly a, a single mother she divorced my father when i was about three or so uh had you know two stepfathers both mm-hmm. were very abusive you know my mother was very abusive herself uh, and, you know, throughout all this period, I knew that I was certainly different. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't put a finger on it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what transgender meant. I just knew that I did not want my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew that from an early age. Like, mm-hmm. I remember being three or four and just not wanting, you know, a penis. Like, I wanted to be a girl. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no way to articulate that without feeling ridiculous. And I think even in the most safe environments with the most responsible, loving parents, that would be hard. Yeah. Uh, but in my particular environment, it was just impossible, you know. So I spent basically my entire childhood just trying to reconcile the existence of my body with my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of forcing it, just trying to shove that uh, round peg into a square hole, being a man, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it worked a little bit. You get fluent, you learn how to code switch, things like mm-hmm. that. And uh, it was uh, not exactly fun. So, but what, if, what about you? What's your, uh, what's your backstory? My background? I want to know. Um, I grew up in Connecticut to immigrant Jamaican parents who I love and my mom listens to every single show. Um, but she refuses to just like, subs- I had to subscribe for her on the iTunes Aww. app and cause she, and she makes me send her like the, like every episode I have to like Friday mornings when I release them. What's her name? Jamela. Jamela. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have to like send it to her like through text and she's like, thanks, got it. Like I'll get a text at like 2 p.m. Like started listening. Um, but that's, that's really awesome because my mom's just such a gem. Um, but yeah, just two really hardworking immigrant parents who I definitely know I did not appreciate how much they did for me when I was younger. And I think it was because I was like very first generation and a lot of the kids that I grew up around weren't and so there were so many things that were so different um in terms of the way that I was growing up in my household versus like how my friends grew up in their households and that always caused like a lot of tension because I was like well that house she's like well you don't live in that house you know that kind of thing it's it's interesting because like my mom came here when she was six and my dad came here when he was 22 um so Things kind of like between like how my mom would think things are okay versus how my dad would think things are okay was different because they came here at very different ages. Mm -hmm. Like my mom kind of grew up here more versus my dad who's like a grown man when he came here um, and then like literally met my mom like very soon after. Did one Um, have more of a... uh... Because, you know, the I think with the release of Masters of None and narratives mm-hmm. of immigrant children, you know, there's that stereotype of a very, you know, hard-driving immigrant parent. Do you think one of them was more hard-driving or more demanding of excellence? I think they both were. Like, it was definitely... It's hard to explain. They definitely both were um, because, you know, if you got an A-, minus, it's like you can get an A. If you got a B+, plus, you can get an A- minus kind of thing. Um, but I think that also grew from like their childhood because both of them grew up very poor, fending for themselves and just like the whole aesthetic of my family. I like to think about my immediate family, kind of the ones that initially made it out Hmm. versus seeing like my extended family. It took them a while and not even all of them to kind of catch up to where my parents are now because they like, they really built like a life for themselves. Like we have a house in Connecticut, which... Sounds more glamorous than it is, but that I think like that idea of um, you had, you know, we have, I have a sister and like both my parents have a job and, um, and we're not wealthy, but mm-hmm. we live comfortably. Like my parents, my mom's a teacher. She's, you know, and my dad um, owns his own trucking business. It's just him, but um, 
but it's beautiful to see my parents also support each other throughout that. I was very, I was very, very fortunate in that way. And I think there were some things that my parents definitely shielded me from versus how they grew up. So it's made me very inquisitive. What did your mom teach? Uh, she, right now she's teaching first grade. Oh. But she's taught like everything in wow. the elementary. She's, she's pretty fabulous. And she refuses to come on the show. Mom, I bring this up almost every show. Come on the show. We gotta get you on the show. I've been trying. You don't understand. It's so hard. Um, but yeah, it's they're they're definitely like two of honestly like the most incredible, humble, faith filled, loving, just God filled people like I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And they may be strict and they may be hard and they may drive me insane, but like it so truly comes from a place of love because they've seen so much more horrible things and they're like, this will not be our children. And they really, really strived and made sacrifices for that. So it was, it was nice. There's definitely difficult times, but... Um, you can see that love. Yeah, but definitely. But it's not about me. Oh, okay. It's all about you. I just had to get to know you a little bit. That's true. That's fine. I'm delightful. (laughs) It's fair. You are. (laughs) But talking about your family and and that transition of knowing that you want to be real, that's not something I've ever experienced. So, like, I I can't speak to that. And, like, I know the transgender community is, is not something I'm fully understanding yet. So how... So I want you to not explain, like, because there is, I also want to make this clear of, like, I don't assume for you to speak on behalf of the whole community. Just, like, in your personal experience, how did you kind of get to the point where you realized you're, like, I am a girl versus, like, I'm gay or, like, you know, something Mm -hmm. along those lines? It's such a long story, but mostly it's, just this constant evolution. It's like a, you've heard of triangulation. You know, uh, it's like uh, when you're trying to find the source of a sound with radios. Oh, yes. Okay. So you're like mm-hmm. cutting down the area until you pinpoint. Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like for years, trying to figure out where, where in the hell is this coming from? And why do I feel such a need? And it wasn't because there's, um, there's this unfortunate stereotype that transgender folks, when they're growing up, it's all about wearing clothes of the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. Like wearing a you know, quote unquote, you know, being in drag, and that's mm-hmm. not that's not what it is. It's it's it is a literal disconnection between your body and your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, like whatever chemicals or or, D, or DNA or this this genetic blockage, where you know I would not have been satisfied if it had been this thing where I was giving you know give, given you know girls clothing and I was allowed to wear girls clothing, but I was still treated like a boy in every other mm-hmm. way. Or I still had to have a boy name and, you know, I wouldn't have been able to get surgery. I would have still felt very depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's, it's just this feeling that you're in the completely wrong body. Uh, and it's different from, I would say, other body issues. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like every teenager goes through some kind of body teenager, issues. Teenager, right? 20s, everybody, right. 45. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's so common. And it, it's different from that, too. Mm-hmm. Because I remember being a kid and wanting to reconcile, or, you know, feeling like, okay, I have a male body. I'm a male body. I'll try to make the most of it. And, you know, you're a little upset over acne or, 
you know, maybe you wish that certain parts of this body you have are a little better. That's completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's a difference between teenage angst over the body you have mm -hmm. and feeling like you have, you literally have the wrong body with mm -hmm. the wrong equipment and all that stuff. Over time, it was getting closer and closer to, to some semblance of truth. I remember being early adulthood, early 20s, and having this feeling like, you know, well, maybe I am, you know, bisexual or something. Because mm -hmm. I, I knew I wasn't attracted to men. Mm -hmm. But I thought, well, what is this? Because I, I had no idea. You mm -hmm. know, gender and sexuality are completely different, mm -hmm. by the way, for those who are listening and who have not yet taken feminist theory or, <laughs> you know, intro to gender. Um, sexuality is, the, is your sexual attraction to other people, right? Mm -hmm. It's your sexual being. Gender is how you express yourself. It's an appearance. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're two completely different things. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can be a trans woman who's um, attracted to men. You can be a trans woman who's attracted to women. You can be a trans woman who's attracted to everybody, like a pansexual. Uh, so those are two completely different characteristics. And, but I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to figure out where the hell is this coming from? So... You know, I went to I went to the army, and uh, I'm trying to to beat out these urges, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so in the army, I thought, you know, I'm gonna go into the I'm gonna go into the manliest specialization I can, <laughs> uh, which is infantry. Okay. And you know, I got through basic training, did well, got promoted ahead of time. You know, I'm doing doing well, and it's still not going away. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm I am at this point like this six foot. Uh, you know, male with a decent body and, you know, mildly attractive. So things should be okay. And yet it still feels incongruous with the world around me. Mm -hmm. It just does. Mm -hmm. And I can't explain it. So I got out of the military eventually. And I needed to satiate the search mm. somehow. And so I started doing little things, like trying to make it go away. Like maybe if, maybe if I offer... Uh, a sacrifice it'll it'll <laughs> it'll you know mm -hmm. uh so i did things like paint my fingernails mm -hmm. um or i would allow myself to to leak out like a maybe like release a valve the steam mm -hmm. inside had to be released somehow mm -hmm. so i would um express myself in feminine ways mm -hmm. mildly feminine ways so you know i might talk about fashion with a friend mm -hmm. where uh, and, and for those who are listening, any any person who's raised as male in this country can tell you there's a whole code of being. Oh my gosh. And it's intricate and I mean it's it's unfortunate that in popular culture we kind of categorize men as these one dimensional beings. Mm -hmm. and, oh my god, the things that go through the minds of men. Um, my is, dream is to be at a boys' sleepover party and just like be a fly on the wall. And be like, what do you talk about? I know we talk about. Like, what do you? You know, right? But what's fascinating too is that it's so subtle. Yeah. We never talk about the subtlety mm -hmm. in in male to male relationships. There's so many things that are unspoken. Uh, it's like you communicate through body language, through uh, the policing of what you're saying. Uh, through the activities that you express interest in. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's honestly just so complex. And we never talk about that. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I say that there is a male language, I am not kidding. 
There is a metal <laughs> Oh, I believe you. Like, I don't doubt this whatsoever. Right. And so, um, so what I mean by that is, you know, my early 20, early to mid-20s, I started kind of rebelling against that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I would transgress. I would, you know, be a little more effeminate in my <laughs> presentation just to test the waters. And, you know, with the friends I, with the friends I had, no one, no one cared. Um, they were very supportive of it. And um, it wasn't even like a thing I had to say. I mm-hmm. could just do it. And they probably thought it was a little off, but they didn't, you know, they were fine with me being happy doing that. Around 26 or so, I'm in therapy. And I finally just come out and say it to my, my therapist. Mm. And I remember that day because I was sitting across from her. And it took me, and I'm not kidding about this. And it sounds, it sounds ludicrous when you hear it um, out of context, but it took me four or five minutes to get the words out. Like we were sitting across from each other mm-hmm. in almost near silence for about four or, five minutes, four or five minutes. As I'm just trying to say the words, I think I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. And it felt so embarrassing and humiliating. It felt like I was admitting that I was broken beyond repair. Not, not the being a woman part, but the idea that maybe I am so mentally ill Mm-hmm. that that you know my my body is is just it's broken in, mm. in ways that can't be fixed so getting to that point took a lot of effort um you know my therapist of course being wonderful as she is explained to me gender dysphoria and how gender dysphoria is not a mental illness mm-hmm. um it's or it's not a mental shortcoming i should say it's more the anxiety one feels when their gender identity is not validated by the world around them. Mm. So it's a problem of society. It's a problem of your environment. It's not a problem that you have, which is different from, say, uh, which is different from, I'd say, other mental illnesses. And it's not, it's not, and I'm not saying depression, which I do have, and PTSD, Mm -hmm. which I also have. I'm not saying those are not um, problems with the person but they are like anything else. Mm-hmm. They're they're illnesses. They have to be treated, and um, they are things that should be accommodated by you know organizations mm-hmm. and workplaces and schools and whatnot. But it's different from saying that you know someone has an identity, a part of their identity that is real and valid and very beautiful and and should be validated. Um, that's kind of complex, but. Yeah, it's interesting. And so, you know, she introduced me to this, and I started reading up more on it, mm-hmm. reading up on it more. Very scary, because I, I, I was, I was seeing where the road was going, mm-hmm. and I was, I was scared to death about, you know, where it might end up. And at the time, I was about a year into a very serious relationship with, mm-hmm. you know, a woman who I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Just knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, I came out to her and. She was scared, but initially supportive, and, um, you know, there was a lot of complications there. Um, you know, my therapist eventually did formally diagnose me with gender dysphoria, and so I spent about three years trying to have it both ways. Mm. I figured I could publicly identify as genderqueer and wear women's clothing and identify as female when I needed to, like, just scratching an itch, I guess. Mm. Um, and I could do that without alienating people around me or without alienating my partner or without putting other people, complete strangers at an inconvenience. So I, so at this time I did not use the women's restroom. 
Um, I certainly would not navigate women's spaces without permission mm-hmm. first. Like I would never think of going to, um, you know, like a, a feminist meeting of some sort without, you know, first contacting mm-hmm. the organizer and saying, hey, I did, you know, I'm a male, but I'm, I'm genderqueer. I just want, you know, to see if this mm-hmm. is open to folks who don't identify as female, even though I very much did. Um, and it was, it was fucking hell. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. But I tried it. I tried my best for three years. I tried to make it work. Relationship eventually dissolved. Because mm-hmm. uh, their parents, parents, their parents who are Trump supporters uh, just couldn't stomach it. So they made her make a choice. And she made that choice. Um, and I had to respect it in the end. And for me, I just, oh God, I cannot spend one more day trying to make it work with, you know, being male. Yeah. I couldn't. I just couldn't keep up the charade anymore. I needed that. I needed that feminine energy. So I came out uh, December of last year, finally. Oh, really? That 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 recent. recent. Wait a minute. I know. I know. In fact, I could lie to you now. I just feel like this was like a thing. Well, you know? I've been building up to it. That's fair for sure. <laughs> um, but it was also something like a, a dam breaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I. You, you, it's like 30 years of all this water being held up and gathering behind mm-hmm. a wall. And, you know, perhaps being genderqueer for three years was just those cracks breaking. Mm-hmm. And then finally coming out was the dam breaks and the water rushes out. I, I remember I went, I mean, I, I wasted no time. I came out, I came out November 29th, 2017. Mm-hmm. And on November 30th, I was already out with my friend shopping for clothes. Clothes are nice. They are nice. And to that point, I never worn female clothing. Oh. I just didn't do it because I was so afraid of what might happen if I did. Mm. Even when I was genderqueer, it was more, it was more the behavioralisms, the mm-hmm. um, you know, seeking out friendships with women who could validate mm-hmm. that part of me, things like that, things that weren't super risky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so. My friend went with me, and she she you know bought me an early Christmas present, a stylist, and so the three of us just went to several mm-hmm. stores, and uh, you know they advised on a number of outfits, and it was, it felt so good to just wear women's clothing and mm-hmm. um, to have people finally refer to me as she and her and by my name Charlotte. It was. Um, it was revelatory. And I, I, I got to say, the first week, happiest I've ever been in my life. Hands down. And then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm still really happy. Like, mm-hmm. I, this, this, this far exceeds mm-hmm. where I would be if I were, you know, still presenting and identifying publicly as male. I am so, so much happier now. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's by a mile happier. Um. So it's been an interesting journey so far, and you know it's not gonna it's not gonna slow down anytime soon. You know, I'll spend the next several years transitioning and getting all the legal paperwork sorted out, the mm-hmm. medical stuff. Uh, you know, going through the literal physical transformation, mm-hmm. which is going to be interesting. It's worth it. I mean, I I know in my heart of hearts it's worth it, and mm-hmm. I can say that much to my chagrin, I spent thirty years fighting against it. Mm-hmm. With all my heart, I tried my best. You know, I 
you know, I did all the masculine stuff and I joined the military and I tried to be a quote unquote good man in any way I could, mm-hmm. knowing that it just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. So, so let's back up a little bit to like the military because one, thank you for your service. Um, thank you. But how was that? Because it is such a masculine environment, regardless of the fact that we have women who serve in the military, it's still very much of what you think masculine identity is, that's what it is. You know what I mean? And was that was that hard? That was that did that make things harder? Do you feel like it was harder when you were in the military versus out of the military? Um just kind of you said like you were trying to like do little things to kind of like release tension, but still in such an environment. Mm-hmm. Like how like how? <laughs> Just how? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, so one thing I should say before we go any further is that, you know, quick disclaimer, I am one transgender person. Mm-hmm. You know, I certainly don't represent any other transgender person that I experience. We all have a different journey. And what I think is unfortunate is that because there's such a dearth of public examples of transgender mm-hmm. people, it's often that people who are unfamiliar with the transgender community will see one transgender person and think, oh, everyone's like this. Yeah. You know, I, I guarantee you, you know, we could walk outside to you know, meet a transgender person on the street and ask them what their journey was like, and it would be drastically different mm-hmm. from mine. Um, I mean, we'd, we'd share maybe some commonalities, but it would be very different. And so, you know, if you are listening to this, um, just know that this is my journey, and it's certainly not that of other folks. Uh, and that's the point, like, of this show is, like, any woman that comes on here, it's their story. And I love that you said that. I do, because it is so important, because I've, you know, I've had two other black women on the show, and we're talking about, like, black experiences, but it's, you know, like, we want to make it clear that, like, this is our experience as black women, not everybody's, but these are like commonalities that we share. Or like we can talk about that. Um, but it is so individualistic. Mm-hmm. And so yes, listeners, it's very individualistic. This is Charlotte. It's just me. This just is just Charlotte. me. I am not a spokesperson for transgender people. I am just a, a spokeswoman for Charlotte. I can speak to obstacles faced by transgender people mm-hmm. in like the larger sense. I'm sure you can speak to that for mm-hmm. for black women and women of color and women in general. Um, but you know, it's just me. And so, you know, I say that because I've thought so much about my experience in the military mm-hmm. and how it relates to my identity as a trans. You know, looking back, I really tried to hide it as best I could, and I think I did moderately well. But I, I certainly slipped. Mm-hmm. Um, I can look back on my service and I would be in uniform and, you know, sometimes it's just the code switching fails. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know what code switching is, <laughs> uh, let's go over that real quick. <laughs> so code switching is where you are attempting to ingratiate yourself in a community to which you are not naturally presenting. Uh, and I think it's mostly it's it's most often identified with uh, people of color uh, living in a white world um, or a world dominated by white folks, uh, rather unjustly. 
but it also applies to uh, other vulnerable communities. Uh, yeah. You know, women in male-dominated environments, um, queer folks in in uh, heterosexual and cisgender environments, you know, trans folks in cisgender environments. So for me, um, I go to a unit that is all male because back mm-hmm. then, infantry units were all male, mm-hmm. and. I thought I was doing well. You know, I thought, oh, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not being, uh, what is it? I'm not being reckless with how I present. But little things would happen. Like I would switch up and I would use the wrong kind of adjective. Something so small. Like mm-hmm. you would never think, and some of your listeners right now are thinking, what the hell is she talking about? Yeah, because I'm thinking that. Like, what do you mean the wrong ad- adjective? Like, what do you mean the wrong yeah. adjective? Like, um... I might be like, uh, you, you're describing something to somebody, mm-hmm. another another male person in uniform, right? And you might say something like, oh, yeah, my weekend was fabulous. And, or my weekend uh, was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And when you say that unironically, mm-hmm. when you say that with the sincerity, and it's not even a, an effeminate tone. You can say it in a manly tone, like, yeah, my weekend was uh, really wonderful. I enjoyed it. Was wonderful. The other person, the other male, their ear, their ear pricks up, because men don't use the word wonderful when they're around other men. Mm. They don't use the word fabulous. You know, things are not effusive in that way. Mm-hmm. There are. You can say, "Oh yeah, my weekend was fucking great. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. Uh, it rocked." Uh, it. You know, I don't use this word, but you could say, "You know, your. You know, you know your weekend was lit." You know, use use some kind of use some kind of slang. Um, I'm a white person. I don't co-opt slang terms. So I honestly still don't really fully know what those terms mean. It's fine. It's fine. But you know, um, it's just shit that you words you use that if women women heard the words that we avoid using, you would think we're fucking crazy. But it's true. There, there are just words that men cannot use when they're around other men, or else they are ostracized. Now, I'm sure some men listening will say, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I have a friend. I, I would say you are among the enlightened. But in most, in most male-dominated environments, especially in aggressively male environments, you know, there's, there's a code. And you, you just don't use certain words. You, you, you're careful with your mannerisms, how your body is presenting. Mm-hmm. You know, you would never, like, cross your legs. Mm-hmm. You don't cross your legs in the military eh? or in, in, you know, super male environments. You're supposed to put, like, the ankle on the knee. Yeah. Um, or you can just kind of sit like this, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, this is the most, the most common. Uh, for those who can't see this She's obviously like, um, lean back in the chair i'm like, like leaning the, back like i got man the spreading. i got the man spreading thing uh, going on me bana- listen it is a crowded <laughs> bus there will never be a time oh my god it it just honestly that is if there is one bone to pick that man is spreading me. it's because it's so inconsiderate it's so inconsiderate you're taking up like a seat and a half and then like here's the thing especially in dc we travel with backpacks and mm. bags like everybody does or, like, extra things, because we're always walking from one place to another. And then, like, here you are, just, like, thinking it's okay to take up, like, ten seats. Put it with in your, your goddamn lap, lap like everyone like else. Like, everybody right? flipping out. Sorry, I'm just... One rant. <laughs> I'm the same, no, I am the same way. I get angry thing. when people walk too slowly, when tourists congregate in the middle of the sidewalk. Um, what are you doing? The grocery store is my pet peeve, because... 
Like, oh listen, God. you you can only walk so slow in the grocery <laughs> store, especially because the grocery stores here are small. Like, there's not like wide aisles. Like, no. there's not. So the idea that you have the audacity to stand in front of the cheeses for ten minutes while I need to get through is ridiculous. Come on now. <sighs> I'm so sorry. Nice. <laughs> right? But it's true, though. It's true. People need to be more considerate. And... Just a little bit. I'm oh, not asking for much. But, they're, but that, that's true, though, because I think males tend to be less aware of that mm-hmm. because it's the sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's, it's it, it, even if it's not a sense of entitlement, it is the lack of having to negotiate your body around bigger bodies. Yes. Or, about, or, or around less put-upon bodies. Because women from an early age are, you know, in, in various ways made to feel small. Whether it's a physical sense or whether it's it's a you know mental health sense mm-hmm. where you, you can't uh, speak out as much mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and that that bleeds through everything else. And so mm-hmm. yeah, you you know, you might be waiting behind someone at the cheese table for five minutes because because it is a it is a conditioning. That you've gone through, right? Whereas, you know, I have to admit, I have quite a bit of male privilege that I still have. Mm-hmm. You know, living your life 30 years as a male, especially 30 years as a white male, there are things you can do because of a sense of conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I still walk to 7-Eleven at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. in my feminine presentation, which is something I think a lot of women would never do. No, no. Right. No, no. Now, that's how you get kidnapped. That's watch, how you get kidnapped. Watch a lot of investigation discovery. Right. <laughs> that's... But even even women with my build, even women who are six feet tall, 200 mm-hmm. pounds, can probably take care of themselves in a fight, even they would hesitate to walk to... And I, I think nothing of it. I put on, you know, my clothing, my dress or whatever, and I walk, to, my, walk my happy ass to 7-Eleven to buy <laughs> some snacks. Now, I don't always feel safe. You know, mm-hmm. I you know, I have moments when I might walk by, and it doesn't matter who it is, but it could be an older male, and I just keep walking. I just have I make, I make a beeline past them. Yeah. I don't t- stop to say hi or anything like that. Whereas when it used to be, I might give them a head nod, mm-hmm. like men do to other men, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll just keep walking. Just I don't want to. I just don't want to engage because I do feel like there's a chance maybe they will harass me, and I have mm-hmm. been you know street harassed a few times. I think there's this thing, like, I know other girls do it, too. Like, the reason I, I mean, granted, I'm always listening to, like, podcasts, like, My Favorite Murder, shout out, because I love that podcast, uh, but, or, like, listening to something, but a lot of times the reason I keep my headphones in is because I don't want people to talk to me because there's such a fear of being harassed or being catcalled, and it's like, I don't listen, I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. And, like, the idea of having to do that in, like, a not safe space, because especially, like, if I'm by myself, and I'm a person that likes to do things, like, pretty independently. So it's, like, what are these little safeguards? Because I know if I hear it, I'll get nervous. Mm -hmm. But if I don't hear it, or I can pretend that I don't hear it. So if someone's calling for me, I can pretend, like, I don't hear it. And that makes me feel safer which is a crazy thing because if they were going to do something aggressive like they could just come up and grab you but it's like this idea of you know not being able to hear it that 
you know, and just avoid and like pretend like you don't know what's going on because I've, you know, I've been yelled at in the sense of like, because I didn't respond mm-hmm. to being catcalled. And it's like, I'm not going to reinforce your negative behavior. But then you get yelled at because you're not responding. And then I've had it before where it's like, I've, I have been yelled at for not responding. And they, I don't know if it was like coincidence or like they were like following, but they happened to be turning down the street that I was turning down. So it's like, especially if you're in a car, you don't know and you're walking like, you don't know if they're going to get out of the car. Cause like, Ooh. all of these... So, welcome. Um, so like, um, welcome to the club. Um, so, all of these things that I feel like men don't necessarily inherently have to think about, that I think as women, we just automatically know. Like, that... Because I'm trying to think about certain things that no one really had to tell me. I just knew mm. if it was like, cause I saw it before or like TV or like, you know what I mean? It was, it was never like thinking about even in middle school, just like walking to school and like when summer came around and wearing short, you know, I was like, I would only wear a certain type of shorts if I was walking to school that day. Mm. Cause I don't want to get cat called. It's like coding, right? Yeah. It's like, it's that crazy. Like I don't, because I knew, but then I also came to the realization that like you could wear a paper bag and men are just men. Um, so <laughs> I just leave it at that. You but, know what's nuts to me is that men, men only have to really communicate with other men with, with their bodies and their clothing. Mm-hmm. Women have to communicate to everybody mm-hmm. with their bodies and their clothing. Like it's not, it's funny because you, you know, you just said that you would wear certain clothing on certain days. Mm-hmm. But it's also not just the men, it's probably the women too who might talk if you wore like clothing that might was more scandalous mm-hmm. or um, communicated different vibes, which I think is which pretty sad. So Which is also just absurd because I think I think more of like dressing it's hard to say because like if you think you look flattering, that's cool. But like, you know, dressing something that you feel comfortable and something that like flatters your body and like if it if it happens to be short shorts, I don't know why, because I don't know why you want a wedgie wearing hoochie shorts all the time, but that's just me. Like, I just don't mm. like things. Up. But but I think if that's what you feel confident and comfortable in, and you can rock it, then that shouldn't determine how others treat you. Mm. And I think we so much let that as a society determine how we're automatically going to treat people by their outward appearance and how they automatically present themselves. And it's like, but you don't know them, you know, and you don't know they could be the nicest person, the meanest person, like you don't know. And what I, something I really loved about you, cause, um, so for everyone else, I met, um, uh, Charlotte at the resilience summit, um, hosted by this awesome nonprofit called running search, check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you got up on stage, just, I was like sitting further back, but I was like, Oh, and, but you didn't mention about being transgender to like much later mm-hmm. in your speech. And I was so hyped because I feel like you just are, if that makes sense. Does yeah. that make sense? And so, because I feel like I don't have to get on stage and be like, I'm a lady. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to do that. And so there's something in me that I, that I feel like, 
I feel like if you are going to be a woman, you shouldn't have to say right. you are. If that like makes sense, or if you're going to be a man, or you're going to be whatever you just are. And and that was something that I really loved about you when I heard you speak because you didn't mention that till way later. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you shouldn't necessarily have to. Um, and even throughout you telling your story. And what you were doing, I was like, oh, I really love to get her on the podcast before you even mention it about, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like that, I don't know. That's what I really loved is this idea of just like, you just are. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I don't know. I just kind of wish we lived in a perfect utopia of the world where it's like, you can just kind of be are like, you just, you, you are just, you like, without having to do this extra step of explanation because like doing like hi i'm charlotte climber like i work at h hrc and i'm transgender like that has to be part of your routine versus me being like hi i'm natalia i'm a grad student you know i do some consulting and part-time work on this like like that is i don't have to be hi i'm natalia i'm black you know 24 like all like these like very like intense kind of things or declarative statements yes very that you're just like Because, like, sorry, because I feel like if someone did that to me, like, if someone, like, came in the room, they were like, hi, I'm Betsy Joe, and I'm 25, and I'm, like, started listing all these traits that I can just, like, see, like, I'm like, all right, this one's a little odd. Right. A little little bit of an odd duck. Um, But I don't know, for you, was that a different kind of experience? Were you happy to kind of make those declarative statements? It's At first, at least, or... Like, I would love to live in a world where I didn't have to say I'm trans at all, mm-hmm. right? Because you're right. I would just love to be, like, I would love to just be a woman. Everyone recognizes me as a woman. Uh, and, you know, for all, for, for all the value of reality and truth, I am a woman. Um, but we don't. And what's especially complicating here. Is that, you know, a lot of folks, uh, unfortunately, kind of expect certain things in people who are trans and in the public eye. And I'm in the public eye quite a bit. You know, I have... As press secretary? I would hope so. (laughs) Right, right. I'm a spokesperson for the organization. I talk to reporters all the time. And, you know, even beyond that, I'm, you know, I have a large online presence. Mm -hmm. And so folks know who I am. And Mm -hmm. so when something trans-related happens, it's like I automatically get emails from reporters or Mm -hmm. from, you know, maybe advocates in other communities Mm -hmm. who are asking, hey, what should we do about this? Or what's your comment on this? Um, So here's what I mean by that. First of all, I think any trans person, however they want to navigate their identity, Mm -hmm. is valid. So if a transgender person wants to just be... Uh, the woman they are, or the man they are, or the non or the non-binary person mm-hmm. they are, um, without having to do the whole advocacy bit, that is completely uh, wonderful and truthful, and I support that. Because there, you know, there are folks uh, <coughs> who are trans women who don't want to say I'm a trans woman; they just want to say mm-hmm. I'm a woman, and that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, and they don't want to be someone's political cause, and I, I understand it; I get it. I don't have that option. My thing is a constant oscillation or balance between, mm-hmm. like you said, appearing in public and just being. Yeah. But also making those declarative statements sometimes. Like, I am a proud transgender woman. Mm-hmm. 
because there are a lot of trans kids who watch me. And there are a lot of uh, other trans folks who might be in the closet who watch me. Mm-hmm. And by me saying that, it kind of gives them a little more hope. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's hard to say this, but I'm kind of paying a debt that I owe to other trans folks who came before mm-hmm. me. Because I would have come out if it weren't for, like I said, mm-hmm. right at the start, I wouldn't have come out if it weren't for people like, you know, Sarah McBride, you know, people like, um, um, you know, Danica Rome. I mean, it, just this long history uh, of, of transgender people who spoke their truth long before I came along. Uh, and if they hadn't, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard. You're trying to, you're trying to, Live your true self, which is a woman, you know, mm-hmm. not as a transgender woman, but you're also trying to satisfy an entire constituency. Yeah. It's hard. Do you feel like, because you are like in the public eye, and so even when you work at places that I don't want to say like claim to be inclusive, but like are like, where are these inclusive environments, even places like the Human Rights Campaign, mm-hmm. um, do you? Do you feel like you have to dress it up even more? Do you feel like they are constantly taking a chance on you? Because while you are a transgender woman, you may not... I, I, I'm, I like, wondering if people... Because I think people... I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Yeah. I feel like people are more comfortable when you look more like a woman, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And so, like, you're saying you're still going through your process. And so it's, like, you don't look like, like, Laverne Cox yet. No. For, you know what? I, well, none of us do. She's a goddess. She's but... Fabulous. Yes. <laughs> um, if only I could ever look like her. Right. Um, but do you do you feel the need to dress up yourself even more because you're like I need to relate to a bunch of different people, and so I may not look how they think I should look yet, and so um, I need to dress it up even more. Oh yes. You know, like I need to put on the makeup and put on like, so I can make people kind of feel comfortable with this. And especially since you're like in the public eye, cause I feel like if you were, I don't even, I don't even know, like an analyst or something, someone who didn't have to, you know, talk to the press and like, you could kind of like go through your transition and like live your life and, and be fine, but do you feel like every day you have to be like super feminine? Or... So, so it's fortunate for me that my default mode is super feminine anyway, <laughs> right? So, you know, if we're looking on the entire spectrum, because there are trans women who are a little more butch yeah. in appearance, and maybe, you know, trans women who kind of lean toward non-binary, mm-hmm. and then there are trans women who are super, super femme. I am super femme. I am like princess femme. That is my, you know, if I could be, you know, I don't know, uh, Laverne Cox on steroids, or if I could be like <laughs> Elle Woods and mm-hmm. Legally Blonde, that's, that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fortunate because when I go to an event, like a networking event mm-hmm. or a press event, I do, you know, I do put on full makeup. Mm-hmm. I wear heels. I... You had a great red lip on when I oh, met you. thank you. Great red lip. I tried. <laughs> And I like dressing up that way because mm-hmm. I feel more most comfortable. But there are some nights when I want to go out and I don't want to get all gussied up. Yeah. Like I just want to put on a dress or a skirt and, you know, just maybe put on some lip and that's it. And I don't feel comfortable doing that because things happen like Cuba Libre mm-hmm. where, you know, two months ago I was at a bachelorette party with some friends. Mm-hmm. Went to use the restroom. And I got asked for my ID. Oh, okay. 
Someone else told me this story. Yeah. They were like, a woman uh, came into Cuba, because I love Cuba, because I like to salsa dance there, and so, and that was you? That was me. This is such a moment, like, from a movie, right? That was you? That was me. I'm sorry, I know it was like a tragic event, but I'm also like, that's, and I remember saying, okay, that's ridiculous, that's bull. Like, Mm -hmm. they have no right to do that. Um, and I feel like I have a face to connect to it. That's kind of like that. Um, hey, what's crazy is that, that, that night was so fun. Like that was my first bachelorette. That's just one of those things that, you know, it's not like I needed to go to a bachelorette thing to feel validated as a woman, mm-hmm. but I had grown up wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. I had grown up wanting to do like the sleepovers with female friends mm-hmm. or, you know, just dancing with female friends or drinking or having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just being in the company of girlfriends you love. And I was out with 10 girlfriends. We were having a great time. Three or four hours of just drinking, dancing. And it wasn't until the end of the night that I finally went to the restroom. And I remember one of my friends saying, hey, if you need someone to go with you, or she had said it but maybe 30 minutes prior, she's like, hey, if you need someone to go with you to the restroom, let me know. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to be very respectful about it. I could tell she was yeah. a little apprehensive saying it. I was like, you know what? I think I'll find. It, seems, it yeah. seems like a good vibe. People in here are being respectful. Mm-hmm. I got some stairs, but you know, mostly okay. And I go to use the restroom in the, in the, near the end of the night. And one of my friends says, hey, do you want me to go with you? And I said, you know, if you want to. And she's like, just in case, let's go together. Yeah. I'm like, all right, great. And so we head over to uh, the restroom. And there's this melatonin out front. And I walk past. And he sticks his arm out in front of me and says, I just need to see an ID, sir. And I was like, well, first of all, it's ma'am. And why do you need to see an ID? And... Uh, He's like, well, you know, we have to make sure that your, you know, ID matches the restroom that you're using. So first of all, no. He's like, well, yes, it's DC. And I was like, no, it's not. And I, I, I said, I literally said, that's nonsense. And I turned around and walked my ass into the restroom. Meanwhile, my friend, she knows what's about to go down. <laughs> right? She's mm-hmm. telling him, look, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. Like, just, just let her use the restroom. It's not going to be cute. And there's the, everything will be fine. So I went to the stall close the door, and I hear this joker walk into the restroom. This male attendant walks into the women's restroom, starts going, like, searching throughout the entire restroom, does everything short of opening the stall doors. Come on, that bathroom is not that big. Right? <laughs> and, I mean, he, he, he was in there for a good 30 seconds, just mm-hmm. looking around, trying to figure out where I was without, like, peering over yeah. the edge. Uh, and I'm just doing my business. He walks out. I finish up, wash my hands. And I walk out. And mm-hmm. the manager's standing there with Melatonin now, and he's asking for my ID. And we go through the same, you know, uh, weird radio play dialogue. He, he, he's like, uh, uh, you know, I need to see an ID. He's like, why? Because that's DC law. He's like, no, that's not DC law. He says, well, yes, it is. I says, no, that's not DC law. I'm not showing you my ID. That's not happening. And um, he says, well, you can't use the restroom uh, because you're making women uncomfortable. Right. And my friend is there. She's shaking her. I like, no, no one would have said anything about this. Right. Listen, I could guarantee we would be so like as actually, you know, I'm going to speak on behalf of all women. None of us would feel uncomfortable. <laughs> this is the one time I will speak on behalf of all women. I can guarantee you none of us are going to be like, you know what? She's taking. Honestly, the more thing I'd be mad about is like if there was a long line. And you were taking like you know eighty five minutes in the right. stall. That's what I'm angry That'd about. Considerate. Yes, that I would be angry about. But you going because like here's I guess for me like if I walked in there and I saw you like I would be like oh 
Like, I wouldn't, I don't even think I'd be like, oh, like, I would, I was just like, oh, mm. gotta go. Like, I, it's not even a thought. Right. I just wouldn't, I just also, I, what I realized is people really need to just not say anything because you never know who you're talking to, and especially in D.C. For them, I don't think it's gonna, it's gonna be a good look. No. Is that you know what I mean? Because like you already have such a presence, you're already a press secretary. Like you work for a very large international organization. Like it's not a good look. It's not a good look. My friend is sitting there trying to tell old manager this. Like, dude, it's not a good look. She was saying, "Look, this is about to become big. You need to step back." And you know what? If he had ended it right there, if he had been like, mm-hmm. um, "Hey, look, I'm sorry, I misapplied the law," even though he made a uh, made up a law, but that's okay. He just said. <laughs> If he had just said, you know, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I apologize, we'd have been done. We'd have, we'd have had a great night for the rest of the night. I'd have been a little miffed still because, you know, I got clocked. Clocked is getting, yeah. you know, basically not presenting or whatever, but that's fine. We'll, we'll move on with our night. But no, uh, he kept doing that. And meanwhile, like, we're in this narrow hallway. There are mm-hmm. women all around us. A lot of them are now staring and watching this go down, like, with these horrified looks in their faces because th- this is embarrassing for everybody in this hallway. And so I said, you know what, I need to get some fresh air. So I walk outside, bring it to law on my cell phone, mm-hmm. walk back inside and show him. I was like, look, here is DC law. Mm-hmm. I, he literally takes it, spends maybe 10 seconds looking over and says, that's not correct. That's not the law. <laughs> that's not how that works. And here's where I got serious. Here's where I got <laughs> super serious. I'm like, look, and I almost said sweetie. <laughs> I really did. I almost said sweetie, but I, I kept professional. And I was like, look. I work for the human rights campaign. I, I, I have a large following. I, I need you to do the right thing because this is about to get very bad. All right? So you, you need to acknowledge this law and we will be okay. He says, you know what? I think I need, I'm going to call the police. This just seems very dramatic. It's, it's, it's so dramatic. I'm very tired. Ta- like, I'd be like, sir, I'm tired. <laughs> like, at that point, I would just be like, I'm tired. Right. I can't. Like, this is some foolishness. Right. That should be it. Yeah. But it keeps going. It keeps going. I mean, he says that. I was like, you know what? Call the police. Yeah, please call the police. Let them come here and let you know. And then he, he immediately backs down. He's like, okay, I think you need to leave the, restu- oh, the restaurant. Like, I'm not leaving the restaurant until you call the police. You, you threaten to call the police. Call the police. We'll get this sorted out. Again, that's where white privilege comes in. Because if I had been a person of color, I would, maybe would not have felt so comfortable saying to call the police. But yeah. I was, you know... I was like, call the police, call the police. The bouncer comes over and is trying to reason with me. Like, you know, and I think he, I, I think, what, what did he say? He said something like, uh, look, look, I, look, we're not trying to cause a scene. It's like, no, you need to tell your manager that what he's doing is illegal. I'm not moving. He grabs me by the arm, shoves me out of the front, out of the front of the restaurant, like physically pushes me. And I'm not a- We also need to talk about assaults because- Who was assault? Yeah. Friends. Listen, assault's not cute. No. If there's anything you learned today from this episode, assault is never going to be cute. It's no. never going to end well. And continue. It was not <laughs> cute. It was not cute. I would never lay my hands on another human being like that. Ever. It would take it would take them either getting in someone else's face or getting in my face for me to react like that. And he just grabbed me and shoved me out. Manager had this shit-eating grin on his face. So I was like, uh, I w- walked outside it's about 10 minutes I spent out there thinking, what should I do? And my first thought was, you know what? I should call the police. And I thought, you know, you no. Because if I call the police, it might escalate into something. I don't want anyone to get hurt. 
you know, there's a lot of people of color in this restaurant, mm-hmm. just chill out, relax. But here's what broke the camel's back. Someone else walks out, a non-binary person, and they say, you know what, I got carded too in there about half an hour ago. And this is a cisgender woman. She's just a butch lesbian. Mm-hmm. So she went to use the restroom and she got carded. They asked for her card, her ID, to use the restroom. And then I went to a place of anger. I mean, I went from zero to pissed in like three seconds. It's like, all right, call the police. I'm going to call the police right now. And so I called the police. They show up. I was very nervous about them coming. Mm-hmm. They were the most professional people on the entire premises the entire night. <laughs> they, were, they were wonderful. They immediately mm-hmm. took statements. Mm-hmm. They were like, you are right, ma'am. Don't worry about this. We got it covered. They called like this, this LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ liaison officer. She came. I didn't know DC was doing it like Apparently that. DC does that. I mean, <laughs> I was surprised too. She showed up. She took charge. I mean, everything was wonderful. Meanwhile, this manager has had about six or seven chances to get things right the entire night. He still won't admit his wrong. Uh, he's still looking at me like, uh, you know, I am just this creature from the Black Lagoon being completely disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So I'll fast forward this because we, we don't have much time, but... I'll fast forward this and say that the manager got fired, the male attendant got fired, the bouncer got fired, uh, and Casa Ruby, which is an LGBTQ center here in the city, mm-hmm. got a large donation from that restaurant. Oh, shoot. And we're not done yet. Oh, my gosh. There's so much. This happened, like, months ago. This happened months ago. We're not done yet. Oh, I'm. we're still going. Because I remember hearing about this. I wish I could remember who, like, told me or, like, what context I heard this in. That's crazy. I don't know. It's so lovely to hear someone truly make that change and that distinction and like be like, no, I'm not going to stand for this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so hard sometimes because you're like, I, I don't know about you, but I feel it's like I have to do this every time. Not necessarily like call the police, but like I constantly have to be pushing back or constantly have to be doing that thing. So that this and I feel like people don't understand the amount of strength that takes to every single day make the choice to push back. Mm-hmm. And so it's so lovely to see you be an example of that. Be like, I'm gonna get all of y'all fired, then I'm gonna make you make a donation, then I'm still not done with the situation. Like that is Number one, I want to get to that level of petty, but, like, the best level of petty. Like, that is, like, that's the level I want to get to in life. But I love that part of your story, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I love that part of Why your story. Why are women allowed to be petty? I don't Why know. Why are I'm men petty allowed to be petty time. and we're not allowed to be petty? Fuck that. I'm petty all the time. That's my middle name. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine with it. We need to be petty. It's fun. It's fun. It I can do it with a smile, but sometimes I do it with a frown. Because when men do it, it's called assertive. It's yes. called leadership. It's called not backing down, standing up for yourself. When women do it, you know, we're, you know, bitchy. We're, uh, you know, taking advantage of situations. Mm-hmm. We're being too emotional. Fuck that. No. No. We all have emotions, people. Get it together. That's right. So the last question I like to ask everybody is... Um, how do you define being a woman or womanhood? That's a good question. I'm not sure that womanhood could be encapsulated into mm-hmm. a single sentence, but for me, the the most important part of being a woman and 
I mean this with every fiber of my being, is sticking up for other women mm-hmm. and other non-binary people. You know, I'm, I'm transgender, but I'm also white. I'm also able-bodied. I, you know, have a college degree. I have a decent amount of financial privilege. You know, I'm not being a good ally if I'm not amplifying other folks mm-hmm. and standing by them and handing them the microphone, right? I feel like being a woman should be being a good ally mm. in all ways. Uh, and recognizing my privilege um, and recognizing that the obstacles that other women face are not obstacles that I face. Mm-hmm. And so I have a responsibility to ensure that I'm fighting for other women in those obstacles. And I will say, too, that, you know, there are things that I don't lay claim to. And things like reproductive access, that is not something that I really have to worry about. You know, I don't have reproductive organs. I don't have, you know, uh, a uterus. I don't have to worry about getting pregnant. That doesn't mean that not, I should not be at every rally mm-hmm. demanding that women have access to abortion care, uh, that women have access to... Um, uh, and trans men, for that uh, for that matter, uh, have access to you know reproductive health care. Mm-hmm. These are things that we should all be fighting for. That's why that question is so hard to answer because we're all women in different ways. The question is, how are we allowing? How are we permitting? How are we defending the women around us to be the woman they want to be? That's oh, I love this question. I know uh-huh. I say this every episode, but it's true. Like. I just really love hearing everybody's responses and yours. What about you? I don't know. That's the whole point is like I I have my own ideas of what I think womanhood is and being a woman. But I don't know. I never I never say it because I don't want anyone to come with a preconceived notion of what I expect them to say that fits with what I define as womanhood because you know it's like you hear something you're like oh okay that kind of makes sense and it's like I'll go along with that um Mm -hmm. but I really um want everybody's answer to be authentic and their own and um I think you know if you know me well you'll kind of know what I think about women and how I think womanhood is um but I truly love the podcast being a space for the women that I talk to to tell their stories of being a woman and their definitions of it because I want to give that unabashed unbiased kind of feel you know I love that yeah it's it's because I think I think our stories as women are so powerful Mm mm-hmm And we should continue to tell our stories and continue to encourage each other to share our stories. Um, And that's the whole premise of this. What makes us more than just like a pretty face? What makes us more than what you see on this outside? How are we in the positions that we're in? Because I think on paper, if, you know, someone is like, she grew up in Texas and impoverished and then she went to the army and now she's like trans and really thought she must be like in a hole somewhere like crying or like dealing with so many different things um but it's like no she's risen you know and I think that is such a unique ability of women to rise um and the way we help each other rise yeah and the way we help each other rise without other women exactly and it's like 
yes, your title or what, I don't know. I always, when people ask me, like, kind of like, does it matter what they do? No, it doesn't matter what a woman does when they come on the show. Obviously, you know, one day when I get Oprah. Um, but, <laughs> but like, I think it's more so to say that, like, Charlotte is a press secretary for the Human Rights Campaign and look where she's gotten and kind of hear where she started. Because when we hear about these um, women role models, the Michelle Obamas, the Oprahs of the world, like, you know, these incredible women, we always kind of think of them like up there versus like at your level. You know, like, I'm not going to get the first lady job. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? So I think to talk to women that, you know, if you were to read their job description, you could get it. And when you hear their stories and you're like, okay, that's, similar to my story, or I face those same challenges, you're like, this could be me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is something that's so important to highlight, that you just walking down the street, someone may not know, like like the guy at the club who didn't know the power that you had, and there are so many women walking around like that, and so many women who have done incredible things, but people won't hear about it, or they won't fully get to know or like you don't talk to them about their stories. Um, and so the goal is really just to reach anybody, whether you, you know, you pick up trash on the side of the road or you're the president of the United States or you're like in everything in between, because I think we all have a story and I think in each story, there's something to learn. Amen. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I'm going to give a, a shout-out to Serena Williams in case she, she hears this, because I love Serena Williams. That would be... She's the, a queen. I Ugh. have talked about her, I think, at least once or twice. Because like, she <laughs> truly is amazing. She gets shit done. She... Oh uh, and with such class. And just with... Uh, Boundless class. So, uh, so truly, so fabulous. Um, is there anything that you want to plug... Nothing to plug, but I will say that I greatly appreciate being on this episode, and I am so happy and and just grateful that you invited me to talk, and I will end my own comments with, you know, just remember your privilege. If you're a white woman, you should be speaking up for women of color, and and better than that, amplifying what they're saying. If you're a cisgender woman, you should be, you know, out there for trans non-binary women. If you're... Uh, heterosexual, you should be out there for queer women. If you're uh, a, you know, woman who's a Christian, you should be sticking up for religious minorities, you know. Make sure that you're amplifying the women in your life. Okay. And not just speaking up for them, but giving them the microphone and sending them and cheering them on. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we should be doing. So, I should have asked you this earlier, but just real quick, how do you, like, I don't want to say, like, how do you identify, but what is your, like, your your opening speech? Not your opening speech, but, like, how I would be like, hi, I'm Natalia, I'm a grad student, oh. I do this. What is Charlotte now versus Charlotte then? So, like, who do you want people to see that you don't necessarily have to announce? I want them to be like, oh, that's Charlotte Clymer. Yeah, she's a great writer. And... She doesn't fuck around when it comes to justice for other people. That's how I like to be remembered. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Succinct. This is great. Thank you, Charlotte, so much for coming on the show today. It was great. Oh, guys, this episode, it's so real. It's so good. It's so good. I'm so excited. I can't even, like, I'm just so jazzed. Um, But it was such a blessing to talk to you and hear your story. Um, 
everybody listening at home thank you for listening uh please follow the show on twitter and instagram at pretty face lady three and also go ahead and like us on facebook at more than a pretty face and if you want to email us our email is prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com and talk to you soon bye